to HR After Hours. Well, serve me a Nana peanut butter sandwich and call me the King Hannah Hampton. How the heck are you today? I'm good. I'm a little feisty today, so forgive me. I love For- feisty Hannah Hampton. <laughs> Yeah, I like to me. poke the bear. Poke oh, the bear. don't even. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, so forgive me for any uh, feistiness. I feel like feisty is the right word. I'm just feeling a little, um, I don't know, I'm a little perturbed at the state of, of where we are with the coronavirus. And as, as our listeners know, I've been taking quarantine or, you know, staying at home very seriously. And I feel like we're heading in a very terrible direction because of those who decided that they were bored with staying in or, you know, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. We don't want to get into my rant about the coronavirus, but I am uh, feeling a bit feisty because of that. You how know, are you doing? Is, you know, I, I know how you feel about it. And I'm a little under the weather, so I'm kind of dragging it a little bit. And I even told you, I'm like, oh, man, I don't know if I can keep up with you. And at first, my reaction when I could tell you were really annoyed with some of the stats and the mm-hmm. younger people that passed in the last week. I feel like we talk about it so much. Yeah. But, and, and so I was like, oh, I don't know if I really want to even open with that. But then at the same time, it's like. You know, I feel like our parents, like, well, I won't open with telling you to put on your damn mask. You put on your damn mask yeah. so we can all get back to, quote, unquote, the new normal. So yeah. I get it. I mean, I do get it. want to Don't apologize to our, our listeners because I think <laughs> they are the, the ones that are smart enough to wear the mask. But what was it you called them again? I love that term. Mask hole. I like it. Don't I be like a mask it. hole. You know, this is, it's wearing a mask is not an infringement on your freedoms. It's just the right thing to do. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. I've said it before. I'll say it again. And let's not be jerks. Let's not throw a fit at Costco uh, like many videos have shown. Let's not throw fits and spit on people. I mean, it's like, what is going on out there? I've seen that where a lady spit on a child. I saw where a guy went berserk at Costco. It's Everyone's gone crazy. <laughs> I think, well, you know, it, it, it's funny and it's not. What you just said about everyone going crazy is now we are seeing reports and data about, you know, the psychological effects of not only the disease and there is now some possibilities of some neurological symptoms. We'll let the scientists talk about that. Yeah. But, it, it, you know, people are losing their shit so to speak you have to start looking at this as a possible ptsd situation sure. down the road and we'll look well that's for a different podcast at the same time i mean we are seeing people literally lose their shit or lose their spit so to speak <laughs> but um yeah I, I i think it's unfortunate that we have to open with this so often uh, so frequently like she said don't be a mask hole and we don't can get on and uh, try to go to wherever the new normal takes us. But now I'm more scared of what this new normal is going to look like from the fact that we just can't do the basic 101 stuff and be considerate and look out for others. Yeah. So let's talk well, about uh, something else. What do you got for me? Yeah, today? totally. Uh, I, I like to read the news on a regular basis. I listen to news podcasts. I look at news blogs. I just, I always like to know what's going on in the world, which is probably part of the reason why I'm feisty today uh, is because I'm always kind of trying to understand what's going on in the world so I can uh, apply it to my life, to my personal life, professional life, whatever. There was an article in Forbes. I think it was just published like in the past week. 
And it is an article by William Aruda, I think is how you say it. And it's called How to Put the Human in Human Resources, which that's not a new concept, right? <laughs> we kind of tried to make it our own, but you're right. I yeah. mean, that's, it's, that's actually, uh, I love that terminology. It matches you when you say it, and it's just so infectious. Uh, when you take that approach, because that is your personality, and that's that's what makes you the great HR leader that you are. Let's talk about this article. Apparently, yes. the gist of it, I guess, and I'm going to just say this and then back off. We're seeing that people really don't trust HR like we think they might. Yeah, I mean, here here's what I'll say to our listeners. When I found this article, and I, I, I sent it to you, Mick, I was like, yet another article about people not trusting HR, which it's not a surprise. I feel like we all know as professionals in HR and we've, you know, especially those who've been working in it for quite some time, we know that we've got a bad reputation. And I know it go, whenever I've gone into a new role, I've always known that I have a reputation that I need to break through, even though people don't, you know, if I'm new and people don't know me or know my style, I know that they're going in with a mind, oh, this is HR. It doesn't matter, you know, how big of a smile I have, how, how much kindness I use. There's always that thing stuck in the head that HR is bad. And so the article is basically showing yet another study uh, that um, from, it's a company called, I think, Zeti, Z-E-T-Y, a publisher of guides and articles for job seekers. Their study, they, they talked about a thousand American workers and still humanity is missing from the HR departments. That's how they put it. So here's some of the stats, which are just eye-opening to me and, and just disappointing because I feel like so many people in HR work so hard uh, to get past this, but I feel like there's still those uh, old schoolers who uh, don't do the right things. But it says, according to the study, 37% of people wouldn't report being sexually harassed at work. Over a third. And 43% would not report discrimination. So, I mean, like, we're nearing half on that. So, some of the other ones, uh, and I'm, I'm going to go through... Um, you know, I, I'm going to go through some, some other stats that were in this article. So uh, this next one is, is based on a different uh, report, and it was HR Acuity's, Acuity's uh, 2019 Employee Experience Survey. And they said 46% of respondents said they feared retaliation of re reporting problems, which I feel like I, you know, I hear this from, from people I know. I had a personal friend who uh, was afraid to report concerns of returning to work because they thought, well, I'm, I'm going to get fired if I complain. 39% uh, felt that their complaint wouldn't be dealt fair, fairly. So they feel like 39% of people felt HR lacked objectivity. Um, gender bias. So it said issues reported by men were 26% more likely to be investigated and comments received from the participants indicated that women's complaints are more likely to be ignored, which ugh, I just, that makes me sad. But here's one that I, I feel like, I, there's two things I do want to talk about and then kick into our discussion. Number one, they said, that 82% of respondents said they're only comfortable going to HR for concerns about compensation and benefits. 82% wow. said that that's all they wanted to talk to HR about, which is disappointing, but not surprising. And then for me, uh, here's a, another from the Zeti survey that just shocked me, was it said that um, bereavement scored shockingly low with a whopping 87% saying they wouldn't discuss it with HR. The, this, the article said the underreporting makes sense, though it's not unusual for companies to have policies that require, require, 
proof of a death in cases of paid time off for bereavement. So <laughs> I, which I'm just like, yeah, it makes sense to me. I mean, you know, somebody, your loved one passes away and then you have a manager who thinks that you're lying or, you know, it feels like they're calling you a liar because they want a pamphlet or whatever, you know, from, uh, from the funeral or a death notice. And it's just, yeah, of course. Like that feels like you don't trust me. So if you don't trust me, you know, why, why am I here? So I just gave you a lot of information. So hold on before. <laughs> so I know we're going to talk about this in sections. So yes. all I can think of with the, the bereavement piece is the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. The principal's convinced he's got him here. And he's like, yeah, you just, uh, you know, produce a corpse and uh, that'll be excused. <laughs> you know, yeah, just wheel her bloated dead body on over here. Exactly. And you'll be good to go there, Chief. Yes, there you go. I love it. That's a, that's a great analogy. And and that's what it feels like to people. And I, you know, I have to say, I, I agree. I feel like let's, let's again, put the human back in human resources and trust that, you know, your trusted employee is not going to lie to you about a death. And I, you know, I'm one of those people I'm like, well, there's, there's karma. I, I, I would never lie about a death because I feel like karma would come back to bite me right in the butt. So I, uh, let's trust our people. And, and then at the end of the day, I'm like, once, you know, if it seems like, you know, once a month, this person has a, a death in their family or, you know, their fifth grandmother has passed away. Well then, okay, let's, uh, let's talk. That's why we have policies that talk about, Hey, we might ask you for proof, but I feel like requiring proof that someone died. That's just us saying we don't trust you. Yeah, I mean, there's no real other way to say that. I mean, but I guess there's a way to put it in the policy if you had to prove it. Like, if you just can't get operations to budge on that piece, that if they just give you the date and name, uh, I'm sure you could Google it. I don't think there are many secret funeral arrangements any longer. But still, my grandma's got to die 10 times for it to really look sketchy, right? Usually the person that would lie about a funeral that they needed to attend, mm -hmm. uh, typically something else is going to be their problem as well, that right. you can just, you don't need this. Yeah. Are you going to tell, hey, you have till next Wednesday to bring me to some sort of proof? Corpse. Produce the corpse, right? <laughs> hey, oh, well, we're going to exhume the body. I don't know. Um, but I, I would think that the person that would abuse a bereavement policy which is the only reason you really need to have them prove it. That right. person, something else is going to be their demise. Well, pardon and, the pun. Yeah. And I also feel like they're probably abusing other policies. So I yeah, feel like, that's what I mean. So I don't know. And I, it's just yeah. kind of how I'm feeling too. It's just like the bad apples that are, are ruining, you know, they're, they have people fake uh, family deaths to get out of work. I'm sure. Like it's, you know, I'd be stupid to say it never happened. And I guess I'm, I'm in a position where I work, again, for a small company, and I, I feel an overall trust that my employees are doing the right thing. So I, I would feel, I'd feel like crap if somebody came to me and said my grandmother passed away. And I was like, okay, produce, you know, produce uh, some paperwork. I don't believe you. And it's like, this is somebody who, you know, I've spent a lot of time with and, and have built that rapport and trust. And I just feel like that that chips away at this, you know, at that rapport and trust that we've worked so hard to build. And again, I feel like and people are going to tell me, oh, you're naive, you're a Pollyanna. But yeah, I, I do feel like I, I would I'd rather give put the trust, you know, if it's somebody I trust and give them the benefit of the doubt versus treating everybody 
like a number, treating everybody like an expendable, you know, person, I would rather give people the benefit of the doubt and maybe, you know, rest somebody missing a day of work. And let's get real at the end of the day. (laughs) You know, people call off of work for multiple reasons. And let's be sensitive to those who have actually lost loved ones and not put them, make them jump through hoops for those who take advantage. So what are the other highlights of this that you want to touch uh, base on before we really get into the the discussion? Because honestly, I think just mm-hmm. now you really presented a big part of a solution. Yeah. So I want to put a pin in what you just said. What what about this either surprises you the most or upsets you the most? I mean, what are your for me, the sexual harassment thing is insane. That, yeah, it's really, it's I mean, just- that's. If one person feels like they can't report sexual harassment, you have a problem, let alone these numbers and these stats. It's definitely it's it's disappointing. And but I I want to bring up the the articles. It's a great article. So I, I do recommend go out there and check it out. So if you want people to trust HR, then maybe you need to take a look at how HR is acting in your organization. So. This is something that um, the article brings up is maybe it's time to take a step back and, and reevaluate all of your or evaluate your existing policies and think about where we are today as a world. Me too, I don't want to say post Me Too because it's not over, but like during Me Too, during Black Lives Matter, during uh, the pandemic, take a step back and take a look at your policies. And here I, I thought these were great. It said for true success, and I'm quoting straight from the article, for true success, review your people policies and ask these two questions. Number one, is this policy aligned with our corporate mission, vision, values, and behaviors? And number two, will this policy enhance our employee attraction, engagement, and retention, ensuring that all of our people can bring their true selves to work? I think it's time for HR to move out of the uh, old school hardcore, okay, black and white rules. We've got our rules. You have to enforce, enforce. This is what we need to do. I I feel like there's the old school HR practitioners who have, who just see things black and white and don't change for the times. And we'll just say, well, if the handbook says not to do it, that's a big NO. And of course, like, yes, I feel like an attorney's probably listening and say, hey, you have it in your handbook. You have to follow it. Of course, I know that that's the way to do it, but certainly I feel like we're in different times so it's time to relook at our policies and, and think about, well, does this does this make sense anymore? And, you know, and do is it time for us to change the way we do things? So I think reevaluating or evaluating policies is going to be a great first step for so many companies, because how many times have you looked in a handbook and sometimes you scratch your head on, well, why is this in here or why do we do things that way? Like, let's question. Let's question why we're doing things. So that's where I agree with you more is the way you just closed that statement. You know, let's look at why are we doing things? How are we doing things? If you and I had discussed this topic four or five years ago, I would Mm -hmm. probably have different answers than I do for you today. Because I, we mentioned this in a podcast before, I've worked in a culture where I was so shocked to see what the actual role of the HR department was compared to what I was used to. And what I mean by that, when HR is directly reporting to operations at Mm -hmm. the mid-level, not at Mm -hmm. the highest level, obviously at the end of the day, 
we report to the board of directors or the CEO or whatever it is. When you're talking about these kind of just insane numbers, knowing that 37% of the people wouldn't report being sexually harassed at work tells me you do not have a human resources culture. And what I mean by that, everyone goes, well, you know, it's about your HR culture. HR does not in some way slightly separate itself or have something that's a buffer in between it and just straight daily operations. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't have its own identity, if the HR team is just there to enforce the rules and deal with problems in this systematic checklist way that was deemed, uh, you know, appropriate by operations with the guidance of HR or quote unquote guidance of HR. That's not an HR culture. That's a function. You might as well. And anyone can be the quote unquote HR manager if it's those kind of functions. If you're just saying, here are the rules. This is how you act to the rules. This is what we require. Mm-hmm. That that there's not there's no skill needed there. There's no actual someone coming in and saying, this is our HR department. This is how we're going to run. This is what we're going to do. And every once in a while, you got to fight behind closed doors, maybe for over a certain subject or whatever it is. But if you don't come in and say, hi, this is Hannah Hampton. I'm Mm -hmm. running the HR department now. First and foremost, I want you to know that I'm going to send you all my all my contact information, all the different ways you can get a hold of me anytime, any day emergency backup numbers if for some reason you can't get a hold of me. Also, you got to have some sort of anonymous hotline system in place. That's, I mean, because if it's just, well, Susie's going to go talk to Hannah because she thinks she's being harassed and right. there goes, you know, and it's, it's this big production and on the floor, if it's logistics or uh, retail or dining or whatever it is, if there's no confidential way to report a concern or issue, you're never going to get more than 75% of the people to feel comfortable reporting issues. And I think yeah. I think that's a high number. No, I, I agree with that. And I think that anonymous hotline is, is just a great start, you know, if you don't, don't have that already, because, you know, it takes time to build up that trust. And, you know, I, I, I clicked over to the Zeti um, report. And at the end of the day, you know, they asked statements if they agreed or disagreed. And it said HR is trustworthy and 50 percent of the people disagree. So only half of your you know, what this is saying is like half half of the people out there think that HR is trustworthy. So if you can remove those barriers and create, you know, a, a, a reporting system that uh, helps take away any concern about, uh, OK, I want to report something like, hey, I saw something. You know, if you see something, say something. Right. So. You need to start to rebuild the trust. You can't go from zero to 60 or zero to 100. You're never going to get people on board that quickly. But really, again, start putting in place policies, like I hate to say policies, but putting in place procedures and plans to help remove any barriers, be it mental or, or not, to help people be comfortable going to HR. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely... Um, that's a great place to start. And you really need to take some time to, and just look at your HR departments. And, you know, one of the other things that I thought was really interesting in the agree or disagree statements was 
HR takes the side of the employee and 69% disagree. So, and here's the way I look at it. Like at the end of the day, I don't feel like HR is supposed to take sides. I feel like our job is to uh, encourage um, a really great culture. And if there is something that happened or that went wrong, we need to investigate and not be on the side of the employer or employee, but be the truth seekers and try to find out what happened so that we can put the measures in place to make sure it doesn't happen again and to ensure that, you know, we just have the situation correctly. So it's, I don't know, there's, it's, it's a lot to unpack here for me. And it's disappointing because I do feel like HR, many people in HR are working hard to try to remove the stigma of the traditional HR department. But I feel like these studies prove that we just, we have a ways to go and we need to continue to look at how we're doing things, look at why we're doing things, and that will help us move in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic and we're already starting to run long, which is amazing. HR has to have a presence. A big way to have a presence is to do engagement pieces, but Here's where a lot of HR managers miss opportunities is they think these engagement pieces are really about just morale and attrition, right? Reducing turnover. Mm -hmm. If if you're walking into an HR situation and it represents the numbers that you've read off in this article, you've obviously got a lot of work ahead of you. But here's the starting point as far as I'm concerned. And feel free to tell me I'm full of shit at any point. The, the way where we're losing these opportunities, first off, you got to forge the partnerships and the mm-hmm. partnerships. You do have to have a partnership with operations. You've got to establish some things very early on because you got to get their buy in. So mm-hmm. typically what most people do, and this is where these engagement pieces come into play, is you tell them, let me improve your HR processes and I will reduce turnover. Because you're going to return to turnover because not only are you going to correct problems, but you're going to partner with recruiting and you're going to find out where the gaps are. Where is the short term uh, turnover? Where's our 30 day or less, 60 day, 90 day, six month, 12 month, right? Mm -hmm. And then even look at the long term, because if you've got people that are making it five, 10 years and then all of a sudden dropping off, then there's maybe not enough communication about promotion possibility or got a bottleneck somewhere where people aren't getting developed. But you got to get the buy-in from your partner. So with operations, you tell them, I'm going to save you money and I'm going to increase productivity by reducing attrition. If you let me do some things and I'll, I'll work with you on these, this is the one thing I know I can make happen. Because if you've got a bad culture, that you can change that. Then you've got to find any other department that you can partner with and assist so you'll have their support and buy-in at times when needed. So it's all about partnership. I will never forget, Hannah, when I went to a company for the first time and recruiting and HR were separated, we're almost like finger pointing against each other instead of working together. I'm like, oh my God, if HR and recruiting can't partner, no one's partnering, you know, on that side. Those are the two. I mean, usually your recruiters and your HR managers, if they're in separate departments or separate factions or sub departments, they're like going to each other as, you know, my peer, my the person I know gets what I'm talking about, you know, where other people look at you like I have no idea what any of those things mean. Well, then you do those engagement pieces and operations is going to be like, yeah, as long as you don't spend too much money, we know that can make an impact on turnover. 
But then those engagement pieces get your face out there, your department out there, your info. So whatever you're doing to raise morale, make sure you have things talking about your contact info, the hotline you're rolling out, or how to properly report an incident, you know, and put things together. They talk about it's your responsibility to report sexual harassment, even if it doesn't happen to you. Let's partner together and make this a fabulous place to work. And that's just the starting point. But you've got to do those things and you've got to have those partnerships and alliances. And you've got to, you know, be honest and say, hey, just so you know, right now we're loving each other. and But we're going to have to agree that every once in a while we're going to disagree. And sometimes I'm going to win and sometimes you're going to win. I'm going to do everything I can to make this a great place to work and to make your job easier because you're not going to be spending time in hearings for harassment cases or unemployment, whatever it is. I'm going to reduce the amount of time you're dealing with those shenanigans uh, as long as we can do these things. And then as you have more stability and more tenure in position, productivity is going to improve. Morale is going to improve. We're going to have bench planning for our upcoming positions. Instead of spending $15,000 to hire that new person, I'm out of breath. That's what I see as a starting, a huge starting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I feel like there's definitely work to be done in, in many organizations. So Um, And then in some, I feel like, you know, there's some organizations out there that are doing it right, but you can't just relax and feel like, okay, we got it because HR is a department that has to change with the times. You have to always be thinking about next. You have to always be thinking about the future and not just, okay, we got it now. Uh, I think relaxing and relying on past successes is definitely going to keep you from being successful in the future. So never, never stop learning, never stop questioning, never stop working hard on making HR the department it can be. All right. Well, wear your damn mask. Make (laughs) sure your people know who you are. This is why we do what we do. It's up to us to make this uh, wake up call useful and not just upsetting. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Thank you.